Good evening and welcome to the Fred Paul Show on ADH-TV. Well, the Durham report was released 10 days ago and the indifference from the mainstream media, both here and in the United States, is frightening. To recap, lawyer John Durham was appointed in October 2020 to investigate matters related to intelligence activities arising from the 2016 presidential election. It took him three and a half years to officially conclude what Donald Trump had been telling the world and which most intelligent people instinctively knew to be correct, that the accusations that he colluded with Russia to win the 2016 election were totally, uncategorically false. They weren't even based on remote facts. The entire story was a fabrication from the start. They included a fanciful story about a Moscow prostitute and allegations of Trump liaising with shady Russians and Vladimir Putin to undermine American democracy. The allegations achieved enormous cut through in the gullible mainstream media. Even our own ABC flew a team over to the United States to produce a three-part investigation series that journalist Sarah Ferguson called the story of the century. Do you have any doubt at all about Putin's authorship of the campaign against America? I do not. If you've got a big enough bag of cash, he'll do business with you, no questions asked. The Russian collusion delusion is the greatest political dirty trick of all. It sounds like something out of a Cold War novel, but the reality is deadly serious. Oh, it's more serious than that, Sarah. The reality involves one of the worst cases of political corruption in history, which journalists like yourself have now mysteriously lost interest in. Durham says the FBI pursued the allegations, quote, without any significant review of its own intelligence databases, collection and examination of any relevant intelligence from other US intelligence entities, interviews of witnesses essential to understand the raw information it had received, or using any of the standard analytical tools typically employed by the FBI in evaluating raw intelligence. Had the FBI followed its own guidelines, Durham reported, it would have learned that, quote, their own experienced Russia and analysts had no information about Trump being involved with Russian leadership officials, unquote. It's impossible to overstate how corrupt that is. It borders on treason, a crime punishable by death. Worse, this whole incident was in cahoots with the Democrat Party, with the explicit intention of undermining the 2016 presidential election. When that plan failed to eventuate, the losers continued to throw mud at the elected president, Donald Trump, in order to stymie his time in office. Government bureaucracies in liberal democracies were established with the understanding that a level of professionalism and a sense of duty would always prevent the abuse of power. Those days are well and truly over, 
This is a war to save the institutions on which Amer American democracy are based. A war that is being fought in various other ways here in Australia as well. Well, to shed some light on it, let's bring in my regular US correspondent, Newsweek opinion editor, Josh Hammer from Florida. Josh, welcome. Great to be back with you. Thanks for having me. Josh, firstly, why has the American media, like the Australian media for that matter, buried the story about the Durham report? Well, I mean, look, in this world and the US and probably Australia and other Western style countries as well, you have two forms of media. You have regime media, you have effective Pravda, and then you have dissident media. And unfortunately, the overwhelming majority of mainstream media organizations in the U.S. and around the world have now adopted the standing of regime Pravda, of regime apologists. And here in the United States in particular, it is orthodoxy. It is orthodoxy on the American left. It is orthodoxy in the pages of The New York Times, The Washington Post, on the, on the airwaves of MSNBC, CNN. It is orthodoxy that Donald Trump worked with Vladimir Putin to steal the 2016 election, that there was Russian collusion and things like that. And they simply will not let it go. I mean, people have built their careers on this. I mean, Adam Schiff, the congressman from California, has been telling this lie for years and years on the floor of the United States House of Representatives. So, you know, a lot of people are deeply invested in this lie. And the Durham report, which didn't necessarily say anything new for those of us who've been watching this for years and years, who have followed the story, who know that the Russia Gate collusion hoax was in, was indeed just that it was a hoax. But there are so many people just invested in this lie that they can't just let it go because in order to let it go, in order to acknowledge that the Durham report is real, that Donald Trump was not a Russian agent in 2016, in order to let that go, you would have to then face the reality that you've been deceiving and lying to your audience for years and years and years now. And fundamentally, I think that is kind of the basic incentive structure that is going on now. But the Durham report, again, this didn't really say anything new. I was a little disappointed that there is no kind of indication of further prosecutions or further indictments because to date, the only person who has faced any modicum of justice for this is a lower tier operative, a former FBI lawyer by the name of Kevin Kleinsmith, who pleaded guilty to forging a, a, a document for a FISA surveillance warrant. But he even just served probation, didn't even serve jail time. So I, many like myself are now waiting to see what kind of justice, if any, we can ultimately get for what really has been one of the most pernicious and insidious information operations foisted upon the American people in the entire history of this country. Well, we're waiting with bated breath down here as well. I mean, what little media coverage there has been has focused mostly on uh, whether Joe Biden and Hillary, how, or how deeply Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton were up to their necks in it. Uh, but I think that uh, Barack Obama um, has kind of uh, escaped the spotlight a little bit. How culpable is Obama in all of this, in your opinion, Josh? Well, I think Hillary Clinton has, frankly, escaped the spotlight even more than Barack Obama. Going back to 2016, this whole Russiagate collusion delusion never would have been a thing were it not for Hillary Clinton. I mean, it was Hillary Clinton in her 2016, her failed presidential campaign that worked with the Tony White Shoe law firm Perkins Coie that ultimately worked with Fusion GPS, Christopher Steele, the discredited British spy from the Steele dossier. All of this has as its point of provenance, as its origin point, the failed Hillary Clinton 2016 presidential campaign. So she bears a lot of blame for this. Barack Obama certainly bears no shortage of blame as well. I mean, frankly, 
you know, the entire kind of Democrat media complex, to use the term from the, the late, great Andrew Breitbart, is really the entire Democrat media complex that bears the entirety of the blame here because, again, they were so, so confident that Donald Trump was a Russian agent. They were so, so confident that they would go to the mattresses to pull out all the stops to do this. And because they're so invested and like we just discussed, they simply just cannot let it go at this point. Well, looking to the future, the uh, American voters need to uh, make a decision next year about who will be the next president. We, my colleague Alan Jones had an exclusive interview with Donald Trump Jr. last night, and he told him this. Have a listen. If we have to elect leaders that will actually lead, people who aren't just going to kowtow to the woke mob, to the leftist media, to big tech, you know, it's easy to be a leftist. You have multi-trillion dollar or corporations, whether, again, big tech, uh, social media, mainstream media, literally functioning as your marketing department. It's an entirely other thing uh, to be a conservative when you have the opposite. You have those same trillion dollar institutions working actively against you uh, and as the marketing department of the other side. Josh, those are fighting words. How hard is it to find politicians who are prepared to fight that fight in the United States? Well, it's really hard. I mean, part of the reason that it's really hard is because, in my estimation, corporate America has effectively become the enemy of the American right. Corporate America has become the enemy of the forces of civilizational sanity. Corporate America, by contrast, has firmly sided. They have put their lot in the camp of wokeism and civilizational arson. And the reason that's important from a political elected official perspective is because Certainly from a Republican Party perspective, historically over the past three, four, five, six decades, however long back you want to go, you know, Republican candidates have disproportionately relied on donations from corporate America and things like that. So this whole paradigm shift where the rise of woke capital, the rise of the woke corporation, things like Nike, the Walt Disney Company, Bud Light, Anheuser-Busch recently, you know, this has really thrown a wrench into kind of the basic fundraising vehicle for large swaths of the American right. And without fundraising, you have no people who can make its office. So it becomes kind of a, um, you know, a, a genuine kind of self-survival instinct. And you, you have to have someone who, you know, either is a true outsider and, and you know, to Trump's credit, you know, he, he has a lot of money. Obviously, he was able to, to, to fund a lot of his 2016 campaign. So he definitely was an outsider, at least back then. You either have to have that or you have to have someone who really, really, really is confident, who has the conviction and is a ruthless, competent executor in his vision of governance, which is how I view Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. So those are really the two options. I mean, you have to have one of those two options, but somewhere in the middle is just not going to cut it, I think. Josh, I'm not sure if you've heard this anecdote. It's a cute little anecdote from Don Tr Donald Trump Jr. relating uh uh, relating to the moment in 2015 when his father announced he would run for president. Listen to this. You know, what my father said to me when he went down the elevator before the infamous escalator ride to announce, he looked at me and he said, now we find out who our real friends are. It's a ruthless business politics, isn't it, Josh? Do you think, uh, do you think Trump senior has many friends these days? No, I, I mean, of course not. I mean, he has alienated not simply the entirety of the American ruling class, whether it's in the political branch or whether it's in the administrative state or whether it's in the corporations, academia, Hollywood, all of that. He has not only alienated them. I mean, at this point, he has alienated many on the American right as well. Some people who were never fans of his to begin with, who continue to be skeptical and others 
like myself who were huge vociferous boosters of him but have other access to grind when it comes to his seeming inability to move on from the 2020 election his personal grievances things like that so you know whether it's kind of hard charging conservatives like myself who just simply are a little skeptical at this point that he is able to fight tomorrow's battles rather than be fixated on yesterday's fights or you know the never trumpers who were hate you they hit him seven years ago they hate him today People in both of those camps, as well as the entire American ruling class, the regime, I mean, yeah, he definitely has alienated a lot of people at this point. He also kind of infamously, uh, I, I, anyone who has worked in the Trump administration, I have many friends who did work in the administration, many friends who worked on his campaigns, anyone who has, has been surrounded by his operatives, his lawyers can tell you that he doesn't necessarily have the best track record as far as standing up for his own uh, subordinates when they actually get into deep trouble. I mean, as one example of that, you know, just this week, there's been a lot of convictions for January 6th protesters, you, you know, total politicized prosecutions, awful. Um, you know, Trump has not really said a word about that, to my knowledge. He instead has been playing golf at a live golf tournament. So, you know, for all of the above reasons, yeah, I, yeah, I agree that he has alienated a lot of people across the entirety of the political spectrum. Can your governor, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, beat him in the primaries? So I look, I mean, the national horse race polling obviously shows Trump with a bit of a commanding lead. I'm not sure that really tells the whole story here. Look, I mean, Trump is obviously a favorite. There's no doubt about that. I mean, you know, having a former president run in a non-consecutive term again is is very, very rare. I mean, so this is a, this is a fairly kind of unique scenario. So he's starting with universal name recognition. He's starting with a lot of endorsements. I mean, all that is to be expected. So, you know, Ron DeSantis is a very kind of tough uphill battle to climb. I, I think he can do it. I'm not saying he will, but, but I think he has a real shot. I mean, and he has a real shot for, for any number of reasons. One is that, you know, Ron DeSantis is 44 years old. That is a marked contrast with Donald Trump, who is 76 years old. Sometimes he tends to look a little tired. He hasn't been doing a whole lot of events recently. He canceled his most recent rally out in Iowa due to kind of a fabricated threat of a tornado warning. I had friends in Des Moines, Iowa, texting me drinking beer outside. It was not a tornado warning. It was perfectly fine outside. You know, DeSantis is kind of a young, hungry, scrappy candidate who also has a tremendous track record. I live in Florida. I, can, I see it firsthand. I mean, his track record, Governor of Florida, has been simply sensational. He has literally locked down for the Republican Party the nation's third largest state, which as recently as four years ago was a legitimate swing state. I mean, you know, this is the state back in 2000 during the Bush-Gore presidential election that decided this, the fate of the presidency by 537 votes. Now it's kind of the bastion of red state America. And one person is really responsible for that. So, you know, it's going to it's going to be a slog. It's going to get nasty out there. It already has gotten a little nasty. Unfortunately, it's going to it's going to get probably even nastier. And part of me is really kind of dreading that because at the end of the day, it really is the woke left that is the enemy of the American right and the global right for that matter. But yes, I think DeSantis has a real shot if he, if he plays his cards right. You know, the elephant in the room and kind of the the looming variable also pertains to how many more indictments of Donald Trump might come in if indeed there will be more to come. There's one in Georgia. There's a couple possible at the federal level from DOJ, special counsel Jack Smith as well. So there's a lot of variables still out there. I think Trump is definitely a favorite. We would be silly to not take that position. He's obviously the favorite, but DeSantis has a real shot. Yeah, that, well, that's what the primaries are all about. It's about thrashing out the issues. And 
let the let the uh, the the winner um, you know be decided. Now let's talk about the busloads of illegal migrants being sent to places like New York. These are, of course, people who've just simply wandered across the southern border. Josh, what's going on? This is this is a serious invasion of the United States, isn't it? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Look, I mean, uh, this has arguably been Joe Biden's single greatest failing as a po- as a policy matter. I mean, inflation, perhaps as well. Inflation reached a 40 year high due to the very easily foreseeable consequence of spending boatloads and boatloads of money during the depths of, uh, of the pandemic, among other things. But uh, holding inflation aside, illegal immigration in America is an absolute Tra- tragedy right now. I mean, you have you have hospital systems all across the U.S. Mexico border, whether it's in Brownsville, Texas, Del Rio, Texas, Yuma, Arizona. You know, these hospitals are basically shutting down because they are so flooded. They are so overrun by illegal aliens. And in the, in the United States, you can't turn anyone away as a matter of law from an emergency room. You know, one of my very good friends, his father's actually an OBGYN, a gynecologist out in Arizona. He 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 had to actually shut down his practice within the past couple of years, I think maybe within the past year or two, simply because of how horrible the illegal alien pandemic is there. And he, he just can't pay the bills anymore. I mean, he's having to give away this free health care to say nothing, of course, of the violent threats. I mean, you know, these cartels are flooding the interior with massive violence. How about the drugs? I mean, they're bringing in all these horrific drugs. America is currently, a, a, tragically, at a 30-year high as far as drug overdose deaths. It's, it, it, I think it was over 106,000 uh, annual drug overdose deaths last year. That is horrific, horrific stuff. So, the, you know, whatever way you look at it, I mean, even holding aside the bread and butter economic issues like declining wages because of all the illegal aliens going in the country, I mean, in every possible issue, this is a huge, huge deal. You mentioned New York City. What's, what's, inter- what's interesting about New York City is that the lefty mayor there, Mayor Eric Adams, has actually come out criticizing the Biden administration's handling of the illegal alien invasion. So, you know, if you've lost your iconic big city liberal Democratic mayor on this, then you've probably lost the overwhelming majority of the country. Well, Josh, quickly before you go, here's another disturbing story that, ha- that, like the Durham report, has disappeared from the media. Three days ago, 60,000 tonnes of ammonium nitrate, which can be used to make explosives, went missing from a train traveling from Wyoming to California. Josh, is the next time we read about this going to be when there's a massive terrorist attack on US soil? I mean, you obviously hope not. I I, I think everyone should be hoping and praying that that is not the case, something like this is a little odd, no doubt about that. By the way, it kind of just paints a broader picture. You know, we've had a lot of train derailments recently in the United States. Um, You know, there was that horrible, horrible derailment in East Palestine, Ohio back in February. There's been any number of other derailments. So I'm not entirely sure what's going on with America's rail system in general. Um, You know, as it turns out, as I've kind of dived a little more deeply into the data on this topic, America apparently has way more train derailments than France, UK, other major European countries. So you know, it, it seems we need to get our rail system under control when it comes to the possible threat of, of domestic terrorism, which, again, I, I obviously pray will not be the case here. Um, unfortunately, I don't have a whole ton of confidence um, in the current state of the NSA, the FBI and other kind of domestic law enforcement counterterror agencies. It's, 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 I think it's very difficult to say that you, that you have a lot of faith in these agencies at this point there. So. I, I, God forbid something terrible were to happen. That would be a true tragedy. But, um, you know, look, uh, these agencies have certainly been in better state in the past. I'll put it to you that way.
Yeah, they're too busy targeting Republicans and parents, in fact. Josh Hammer th from Newsweek, thanks for your time. Thanks, Brad. That's Josh Hammer, opinion editor of Newsweek and host of the popular podcast, The Josh Hammer Show, live from Florida. Well, that's all from me for tonight and for the week. Up next at eight o'clock is Damien Curie's The Other Side. It's a brilliant wrap up of the week's news. You won't want to miss that. That's followed at nine o'clock by Spectator TV with the great Alexandra Marshall. Over the weekend, if you've got a few minutes, have a look through our website and our app for the latest from ADH's rapidly expanding lineup of commentators, including the great Mark Stein, Alan Jones, Nick Cater, Dave Pello, and more. Tell your friends. ADH is the new home for common sense commentary, and there's no shortage of things to comment about these days. Have a great weekend, and I'll see you on Monday at seven. Good night.